Welcome to the Texas School Safety Center Learning Lab. Um, I am Selena Bly, the host, and I am here with our guest expert, Kate Shaw from Mansfield ISD, and you are the Threat Assessment Coordinator. And um, I, for our viewers, I just want to give everybody a quick little synopsis of what school behavior threat assessment is in Texas. Um, it has uh, started in 2019 with Senate Bill 11, which was one of the largest school safety bills uh, that we had here in Texas. And it is a process to identify, assess, and provide interventions for students who are on the pathway to violence. And um, we have now been doing the, I think we're in our fourth year here in Texas. And every campus, we have over 9,000 campuses here in the state, must be supported by a school behavioral threat assessment team. They have to be trained by either us here at the Texas School Safety Center or an ESC. And probably the most important thing is they need to look at these students, uh, collect dots is how we train, and see if they connect and see if this student is on uh, the pathway to violence. There is in law very specific identifying behaviors that we train on uh, that you look at. And the reason why we have you here today, Kate, is because y'all in Mansfield are really working on that intervention piece. And in our fourth year, when we go out throughout the state, we have uh, realized that uh, school districts are struggling with that operationalizing piece. How do we ensure all of our team members are trained? Um, how do we train our students? How do we train our staff? But the other piece that we're really finding out, and that's very fairly common for states in year four, is that intervention piece. So what I want to hear from you first is how do you all train your students and staff on a threat assessment or that there's a threat assessment process in general uh, in your district? So we train all admin counselors and SROs that are on our campus because we have a uh, police department in-house. In okay. Um, and we train all of them on the threat assessment process and what we expect for them to report. So we use what y'all have and also we kind of get into a little bit more details specifically for our districts. Mm -hmm. Like, so one of those things in the Senate Bill 11 is fighting. So we look at group fights. Um, we look at like premeditated fights. And so we kind of look at, okay, is this a predatory type behavior or is this a reactive type of behavior? So we go through those with our students. We're actually working on a training that we're going to try to do next year. But right now what we have is um, something called Our House, which is a push and a movement forward to try to give all staff and students and even parents a platform where everything is. So we have our bullying stuff on there. We have our threat assessment stuff on there, online concerning behaviors and crime stoppers. And on that, it explains, hey, this is what would fall under bullying. This is what's going to fall under threat assessment. So they're, we're trying to move towards this taking ownership of our district and the kids being part of if you, the whole see something, say something. But now we have a little spot. It's on every Chromebook. It's on everything. It's a little emblem, and they can click on it, and it's a one-stop shop. And also has counseling resources. So, so it's a reporting as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. So let's jump to there has been now a report made. Mm -hmm. So walk me through your process. Um, and I'm going to say there's been a report made uh, at a middle school. So how does that work? And I'm assuming, I don't know if it's different at a middle school, an elementary or high school, but let's talk about a middle school. Or you can let me know if, if they're the same at all of them. Same process. Okay. So um, 
every campus, and we have about 49 campuses, every campus, they're, all their admin, their counselors, and their SRO are all part of that team. So, but anyone can make a threat assessment. And how our reporting system goes is that once one's made and they put what school they're at, everyone that's assigned to that campus and any district level team is going to know, hey, an assessment has started there. So we open it. We look at what it is. Let's, for this sake, say this is obviously something we need to investigate and it's not a a report that's unfounded or something along those lines. So then the... Campus administrators take care of whatever they need to take care of safety-wise in that immediate moment, and as well as bringing that kid in if they need to do a property search, they can do that, and letting the parent know, hey, a threat assessment process is being started for this. If we need to, one of my staff, uh, which is an analyst, will can go and do an interview at that point and start talking to the student. Most of the time, we try to call our parents first and say, hey, and get some background information that we're prepared when we go and talk to students that we have that information already. Hey, is there any concerns at home? Is there anything going on? Those types of questions. And we have set questions that we ask. Then we talk to the student, we send out staff questionnaires and we get all of that information. And then once we have all of that, we look also look at discipline, attendance and grades. And we bring that information together to answer our large assessment question, which includes those components from the 11 secret service mm-hmm. questions and also strengths and weaknesses or um, inhibitors or indicators, I think is what it's called. But basically it's strengths and weaknesses. So from all that information, what did we find that is weighing on a student or that is concerning for that pathway to violence? And what did we find that are supportive? So what are those pillars that are keeping this kid up? And if we have a student that has a lot of weaknesses or has a lot of things weighing on them and not a lot of strengths, that's part of our intervention plan. Once Mm -hmm. we figure out whatever the level of concern is based on that pathway of violence is, okay, maybe the student doesn't have coping skills. Maybe the student doesn't have um, anyone they trust at the campus. So as part of that intervention team, how do we build those pillars back up? How do we build that support system so that way when something bad happens, because we all know we can't stop every bad thing happening from for a student, that they have pillars that are holding them up even after our threat assessments over that they don't turn to violence for the next thing. Now we also have safety plans. So if we need to keep two students away from each other, if we need to refer out for outside resources, if we need to work with parents to come in and meet with certain on a certain topic or item, then we can do that. But every case is different. So you have right. to kind of figure out what's best <laughs> in each situation. So one of the things um, that you mentioned was that intervention plan. And I think... I'd like to know a little bit more about, so we've, we've, let's just say we've closed the case. We have found the student is an immediate, isn't an immediate threat. We know this is the issue. The student needs some counseling um, and we want to refer to counseling. And let's just say the referral is through our own counseling. Mm-hmm. What is the process and the mechanism that y'all ensure that that is taking place and following up? <coughs> Sorry. That's okay. I cough all the yeah. time. So whenever we, so if we're feeling that there is a need for an intervention mm-hmm. due to some sort of violence, even at a low level, we, and it for violence, be specific, not just a mental health concern, but for a violence mm-hmm. thing, we're going to keep it open on our side. And so because we're implementing that intervention. And so it would be like a low, we're going to kind of check in. Okay, so that's time. a good point. So the case is still open yes. while the intervention yes. is going on. Yes. And have you found that is 
across the board, because I know you've worked in another district. Mm-hmm. So the case stays open while the intervention is still going if on. If there is a concern for violence. Now, we've had cases that are more concerned, like we spoke to a kid and they really need social services. Like there's something going at home, there's some homeless stuff happening, and they need support from that area of our mm-hmm. district. Then we make those recommendations and we follow up and do a warm handoff with that area and go, hey, okay. they need these resources. But if we're concerned that without these interventions that there's still a potential for violence to self or others, then we keep that case open and okay. continually monitor it. So tell me about the continually monitor. Yes. Because I think that's yeah that's hard. So, um, again, I've, having worked in two districts, I actually, we use the same protocol for us for monitoring for each. So we use a level. So we have low, moderate, um, low, moderate, high, and imminent. And so that's kind of how we base on how often we check in with students or how often they have the students campus team has to report how a student is doing. So if the case is a low, they have to report at least monthly. For a moderate, it's biweekly. For a high, it's once a week. And then for a imminent, it's twice a week that they have to report. Now, that does not mean nothing, only one thing's happening a month. That's just when they have to make sure they put something in the system of how is the student doing. So for our lows, we're looking at, hey, Who's checking in with this kid? Every single one of our plans, someone is checking on that student, rather it be an admin, a counselor, a coach, someone, because we want to build those relationships. So mm-hmm. should something happen, they have someone to go to. We try not to make that a punitive person or someone who might have to do punishment, okay. but sometimes they're really close to their assistant principal, and that's a better person for them. Mm-hmm. So when when it's a low, we, we normally ask that they at least be meeting with them every two weeks or hey, set up that relationship where if you need something, come talk to me. And y'all just go and like say hi in the morning, get a temperature check, see how they're doing, talk to their teachers. So we have a report, hey, is this getting worse? Is it getting better? What does that look like? And we're not letting someone fall through the cracks. Even if they are low, we're still checking. And we look at the discipline when those come up and see like, oh, has there been anything else? Is there any big grade changes? Versus you're high and imminent. You're on it because you're concerned. You're watching those. You're like, okay, are they following the safety plan? Are we, are we checking those bags however often we felt like we needed to? And that's, I think, also important because there are some students who we yeah. do find are imminent. And yeah. we, I mean, we've had districts where they have a one-on-one person mm-hmm. with them. We've had that too. We've, we've, we've done that. But then we also know that there are some, like you said, they just need the, that support. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you said is we, they have to check in the campus team because, like you said, you have how many campuses? 49. 49. So that student is being monitored on that campus and they have to check in into the system. And then that's the system that you and your team then are also monitoring. So yes. there's that kind of vigilance as yes. well. What um, what type of system is that that y'all use specifically? So it's through um, the software company is Laserfish or DocuNav. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you use your own. But we created our own. So our okay. in-house developers and stuff, they built it out uh, to fit really what we wanted. Okay. Yeah. And... I'm assuming that you had to train all of those people yes. on how to use the system. Yes. How long did that take? How long did it take or how long till we got it? Because those are different <laughs> answers. Um, having worked in two districts, there are also different answers. Right. So your first year, especially with a new system, is hard because, God for. The reality is, is that all of our admin and our counselors, they have, have to be in a million systems mm-hmm. all the time. One, who's going to be in charge of password resetting? I didn't know my job was going to be a lot of password resetting, but it is. Okay. And I've had that, I had that in both districts. 
Um, and what I did find working in my previous district was we first started on just Google Docs and then they bought um, Navigate 360, mm-hmm. which is one of those programs. Um, and that program cost money, but it was something that was very user friendly for them. And that was a lot. There was a much shorter learning curve when they went to that versus trying on Google Docs when there was 19 different forms that they were using. Right. So when you when they're looking at what type of forms or what type of system, how easy is it? I wouldn't say that we have the easiest form. We have two different, we have three different links to depending on what you want to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ended up breaking it down to a one pager of like, here's the links that you need. Here's how you log in. Here's where you find this. Here's what is next. And, but at, I probably get one call, if not one email a day at minimum of, hey, how do I log in? Hey, where do you right. find this? And so it's good for them to have someone to go to to ask because I can imagine trying to learn an entire system, trying to deal with an entire campus, and then not being able to get into a program that's supposed to walk me through this and I can't log in. Right. So that's really important for other districts. But I mean, the first year is rough. And then normally the second year, you really start getting a hang of it, and then you get veterans and people who did a whole bunch of threat assessments. And then the second year is less rough, and then the third year is a lot easier. So Right. And in that same system, like you said, you're monitoring those interventions mm-hmm. as well. When does a case get closed? So for us, and this is different for right. everyone, um, we every case is going to stay open a minimum, well, if we decide it needs monitoring, because mm-hmm. some cases are unfounded, if we decide it needs monitoring, we keep them open for at least a month. Okay. So, and that is really because we understand that kids can probably mask things at minimum for a month. Okay. But where where are we looking at after that? And then that changes depending on the level. Like our lows, the minimum's a month. But a moderate, they have to move down to a low. And then from there, they can be moved off. So we they always have to work their way down before we take them off. And I think we all know as well, schools work within a school year period, Mm -hmm. but we know that uh, we all live beyond August through May. Um, And so what is your process when um, a student either moves within another school or it's the end of the year and we know we're going to have big groups of students moving up into other schools? Okay, so there's a couple parts to that question. Um, One, I work year-round. So I do follow-ups with parents over the summer, or or if they come to summer school, um, then we'll do follow-ups like that. Now they're not as frequent. We don't have as much like in the, like really in-depth stuff because mm-hmm. they're not at school. We don't have as much access. But at least someone's keeping an eye. We're kind of looking if we're working with a like an outside agency that's working with that student. Hey, you know, is this still working? If we have that release of information back and forth, um, moving schools. So we have a process of when we know a student's moved schools. We move that case over and we require that the teams communicate, hey, this is what's going on. These are the interventions. This is what's worked, not worked. That's a huge thing. Um, And making sure that they're prepared. At the beginning of this school year, we we sat with every team and went, okay, here are the kids that are coming. Here's what you need to expect. Here's what the previous campus did. Here's what the last campus did. If it was even cases that are just still at their campus, we went, hey, this is how we ended it last year. Are y'all still able to put in these same interventions? Because the reality is you might have lost staff over the summer. You might not have them. And what if this new staff isn't trained in the same things? Mm. So making sure that whatever the plan is, that we can actually implement it. Because 
the worst thing to do is to have a plan and not be able to actually follow it because right. then we're liable should something happen. So let's make sure our plan is exactly what we say we're actually going to do. So that, I think that's a good segue. How do you approach that challenge of intervening with trained mental health staff? So this district, we have six licensed mental health staff um, that we call them support counselors. They're all licensed counselors. I'm a licensed individual, but most of my services aren't mental health focused versus mm-hmm. instead of intervention focused or threat assessment assessments. But whenever we go to like a licensed counseling that they're doing therapy type situations, we have a release of information that we either email or we send home with the student to get that signed before we ever go that direction mm-hmm. unless it's like a suicide assessment. Right. And that is that crisis intervention <clears throat> that they will do. We're going to make sure that we get that done in the moment for the crisis, but we don't provide any services that are by a licensed professional for that type of service unless we have that parent consent. And we have one in-house that we can just send off. How often um, do parents consent to that? Actually, very often. Okay. So normally, part of our assessment um, is ask, one of the questions is, are you interested in counseling? So we also work with a agency that helps refer people out. Mm-hmm. Um, Mansfield's is large, but it's a, probably like a lot of your smaller places that it might not have as many resources as other places have. Mm-hmm. Um especially like Parker County, those types of things, they don't have all of the resources, the resources. especially um, any rural area. Yeah, any rural area. And so part of uh, Mansfield actually is really rural and they might not have the funding. So this agency helps set them up and with people who they can afford or take their insurance or if they don't have insurance can help them with that process to refer them out. Or some of our people are like, I don't have transportation. So what do we do about that? And that's why we're we're lucky enough to have people in the schools that they can meet with and we go, oh, this is an option. They're mm-hmm. licensed. They're on the campuses. Do you want us to set that up and giving the parent that option? So how do you, like, I mean, you just mentioned something really interesting. You said there is a part of your district that's very rural. I think there's probably mm-hmm. a part of your district that's more urban. Who keeps track of what all the resources are available? <laughs> I mean, that's a whole undertaking in and of itself, I would imagine. It is. It is a lot of an undertaking. Um, So having that outside um, entity that we do contract with for counseling services is great. Um, My background is I worked for the local mental health authority in this area, so I luckily had a a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. But I'm also part of our local mental health authority, their monthly meetings. I work with the other districts around us, and I have currently a 37-page giant resource thing that is divided up on different types of resources, like inpatient treatment for mental health, outpatient, um, things that work with schools, autism, parenting classes, homeless stuff, because anything that has come up that we're like, hey, we might need something for this, I just started to make a list. And sometimes other things Mm -hmm. come up and everyone is trained to go in here and add something should something else come up. So we try to have a very living document of all the resources. Yeah, and it can be really... If you don't know what you're looking for, you open that thing, you're like, I can't do this. Again, you would, I would never send that to a parent because that <laughs> would be so overwhelming. But for us, I can go, okay, I have this age, I have this kid, let me go to this section and see mm-hmm. what who takes this age. And on that note, you that also means you have a lot of students going out and getting res- uh, so assistance. Mm-hmm. 
And all of that information, though, I want to make sure I'm understanding correctly, then we're, we're requiring, y'all require somebody to know that, to follow up, and to say this is where we're this is where we're at. If if the parents will tell us that they okay. went, because that's to say that's another challenge. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. Them going <laughs> and them telling us they went very different. Right. And that is a challenge. And that is a lot of that building that good relationship. And I also know that sometimes parents are like, I don't want you in my business, and we're not going to tell you. But that's also documented. Then. Yep. So absolutely. we made our assessment. This is what we feel yeah. needs to happen. It then, but the, you're also then just documenting. Here's where we are. We recommended them here. Parent declined coverage. Yep. That doesn't mean though that um, that student still doesn't need help. Correct. And so I'm assuming then that affects that case and the type of resources you're going to try to still provide yes. at the at the school. Yeah, absolutely. So we're lucky that we have um, a lot of a social emotional learning staff uh, mm-hmm. recently hired, actually this year. But they work with all of our campuses on how best to address social emotional issues so like let's talk about it like in our younger grades that they're more useful or they do more stuff there Mm -hmm. they'll be like hey in this class we have some issues with kids not knowing how to express their anger well then they go and they do a curriculum for that class on hey how do we express our anger or they can give them to the general or the educational counselor on that campus for a specific student hey they're going through grief and now that counselor can meet with that student even though they're not licensed professionals for mental health, but Mm -hmm. they are trained and they can go, hey, let's talk about grief. And they kind of have something to Mm -hmm. go through. Um, So we kind of have those kind of workarounds. Sometimes parents still say no to that and we have to respect that. But that's some other ways we try to. And at very minimum, we build those relationships and try to at least give them a safe person to go and talk to should they need it. What um, one of the things that we have also heard is a lot of, not a lot, but there's still some people who are like, but there's a discipline. Like, we're not saying that threat assessment takes a place of discipline. We do know that sometimes there are actions that warrant a discipline, a, a disciplinary measure. However, we always want to say, you can send the student off to the GAP, but that student's going to come back. Yes, they do. <laughs> so, you know, that that's one of the things that we really want to talk about training. We're not saying that school behavior threat assessment um, says you don't put these students in discipline. A lot of times you're, that's your student code of conduct. But the student is going to come back. So what do you do in the meantime? What do y'all do for uh, maybe while maybe you don't do anything, but what do you do while the student we know the students at, let's just say the DAP. Mm-hmm. But we also know that was just a 36-day placement, mm-hmm. and we know that they're coming back. So what would you do in that type of situation? So we have our campus DAEP so, okay. the, versus them going off, like, to JJ or something. So you don't have a district DAEP. You have a campus DAEP. No, yeah, we have a district one. But okay. we work with – so we will still be working with that student at that location. Okay. Now, our DAEP um, used to be called, like, the Behavioral Intervention Center because they have so many resources. It, it's really wonderful. Um, but so that way they get whatever mentoring or mm-hmm. if it's drug abuse, they have those types of things that they can While focus. they're there. Yeah, if that's what they need there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also make sure that if there's a safety concern and they're there, we're also working with that campus to make sure that they're safe while they're there. Now, given they get searched every day when they show up there, they have to wear a certain uniform. They're really strict over there. So. Mm-hmm. Then we have to prepare the campus for what happens when this kid returns. When they return. Because sometimes they're like, oh, well, they're not going to be back. I'm like, they're going to be back sooner than we think. So let's all be ready. Especially right. when they go off to like a hospital or something. People think, oh, oh they're going to be better when they return. Okay, no, probably right. not. Like hopefully better than they were when they left. But we still need to support them when they get back. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it totally depends on where we are in the process when that removal happens. So if we if we find out about an incident, they go to DAP immediately, then we're going to start, we're going to work through our process. We're going to gather all those things. We're going to call the parent. We're going to go talk to that student that's at DAP. Start collecting the dots. We're going to collect and connect all those dots and go, okay, so what do we need to do? Is there a specific target? How do we keep them away from each other? Is, are there access to weapons? Do we need to do like safety searches? Mm-hmm. But making sure the campus is ready when they show up, it's not a surprise to anybody. People aren't like, oh my gosh, but they're like, okay, we're ready, we're prepared. And that also eases the district's anxiety of, oh my God, this kid's going to come back. They come back. We're, we're in public school. That's Absolutely. what happens. Um, and we, the best thing we can do is be prepared. Now, if it is a situation where we need to put them at a different campus, which we've had at times, and we've had at times where it was required, and we've had at times where like that we met with parents and gone, hey, this this was a pretty big incident, and we want them to have the best opportunity to move forward. And luckily, my district has multiple schools at the same level, right. and <clears throat> we can go, hey, this school might be a better option, and give them that fresh start to give them that opportunity to grow because now all of these kids are kind of saying all of these things about them and we could make it easier if he was somewhere else or she or whatever the situation is Um, a different learning alternative a different learning alternative a different environment Mm -hmm. for them um so but that's not every district no it's not let's be honest i mean the majority of our schools are rural and the majority of them are small what would you um advise or recommend for you know those smaller districts you know i mean I, i think one of the things that we always talk about is continue, it's that intervention, continue to check in with the student. That That's one of the things, you know, regardless if you're, I mean, we have school districts where they're K through 12 in one building. Mm-hmm. So there there is no option, right? And, and there still could be that threat. But one of the things that we always want to really instill in our, in our trainings, it's called behavioral threat assessment, because we all know that you see a change in behavior. And so we want to make sure that our staff is trained to understand if that behavior is changing, that's something we all want to be alerted to, especially if the student has a history of um, violent outbursts or a history of trauma. And, you know, we want to make sure we know everything we can about that student and so we want to ensure that somebody, kind of like you just said, is checking in on that student. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's great. Um, and we should do it no matter the size of the school. That is also saying there's staff and there's abilities and all right. those things. Um, my big thing is if you're going to set them up with a mentor because let's say you're one principal and one AP and you have K through 12, that might not always be possible that you're going to have time. And even in our big schools, that's not always possible. So if you are talking with a coach or a teacher or someone else that's checking in, that they're aware, hey, what are we looking for? What does that look like? What changes are we looking for? Or what type of concerns? If something's off, how who to report that to and what does that look like? And also noting the positive changes. Going, True. hey, this kid for the last two months has been great and he's coming to school all the time and his grades are up and he joined the basketball team or a club or something and going, okay, how does that now affect our management plan? Do we still need to be doing a, a daily check or do we move that down? What does that look like? Cause mm-hmm. it's not discipline. And 
a big thing we do with our older kids who can understand is, hey, you can earn your way out of some of these things. But we need to see that pattern of positive behavior before we just, you know, just can we just go, oh, yeah, no, it's been two months and you're doing exactly the same thing and we're out. So, um, I mean, I think it's hard regardless on the size. I think the small the small and the large have different problems, but problems nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. One of the things that I heard, which was why we wanted uh, to ensure that Mansfield was here, is that we learned that you all don't wait for a threat to happen. And so can you tell me a little bit more about what that means? Yes. So um, at my previous training uh, was right when this bill got passed was when I started working under a grant at a different district. And so it was before really we had all the training from the Tech School Safety Center was really up and running yet. So we went through, I couldn't even tell you how many different types <laughs> of threat assessment training. But one thing we really learned was that we are not waiting for someone to say, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. And that there are warning signs um, that come up. Uh, this is really from Reed Malloy's type of research. But and that it is, there are people who are fixated on violence and there are weapon-seeking behaviors and there are isolating and all of those risk factors that you find like in the Department of Homeland Security and the NTAX journals that say, hey, something's going on. Because in a, not in every case do they make a threat. Sometimes it is these smaller behaviors. So we look at, you know, kids who are using certain types of fixation in their writing. They're writing about death and dying sometimes killing, but not technically a threat, Um, really sexually violent behaviors that they're talking about or looking into. And we go, okay, so what what is this behavior? And the the big thing I really want to make sure is threat assessment is not saying this kid is a threat. We are assessing to see, (coughs) are they on this pathway to violence? It is not punitive. We're not punishing them. Mm -hmm. We're going, okay, hey, this was a concern. Let's see... Let's see what this is going on. Because sometimes we've had really small things like um, a little kid that uh, pretends like he's shooting people in class. Now, that might be a little kid playing (coughs) because he is playing cops and robbers in his head, whatever it might be. But no one else knew that was a game. And now this is something that happens. So we can look at it. And sometimes it's this is a game. And sometimes it's, oh, I'm really mad at everyone because they wouldn't be quiet. And I really want them all to die. Well, you don't know until you ask those questions. Right. Or you have your kids that are really interested in weapons. Um, They're searching it a lot, so it kind of pops up on our radar because our monitoring program for technology is like, hey, this kid's like searching this stuff. And you're like, okay. So you go and talk to them. And I've had some that they're in ROTC. And you're like, oh, that's why you're looking into this. And the others, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm building a gun at home. And this is what's going on. you're like, Okay, well, now we're going to go down some different questions, but right. not waiting for someone to say, I'm going to do something because they might have already said it to someone else. They just didn't say it to the right mm-hmm. person to report it. But since all planned target attacks have leakage, they all, someone mm-hmm. says something, does something somehow, we have to look for those clues. And again, we're not saying that they're, there's something wrong with them when we start an assessment. We're saying, hey, this is a concerning behavior. Let's figure out what's going on. A lot of what you're talking about, um, how many students do you have at Mansfield? Just under 50,000, so, I think. Uh, so about 50,000. My previous district, we were right under 80. Right under 80. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking also about 
training our staff and knowing what to look for, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we they have to understand if you have a student who's writing multiple times about this, this is who you would uh, then report that to. Would you say in general, if it doesn't feel right, it isn't. And that's something that, you know, it, it never hurts to, to, to make that report to the threat assessment team. Hey, this is a concerning behavior. And that's where we really feel like language is important. It's a concerning behavior. You're not making an accusation. It's a concern. And that's one of the things that we really feel like educators can understand. If it doesn't feel right, if you're reading something and you're like, that just does not sit well with me. That's a concern. That's something that you want to work with your team. But at the same time, your teams are dealing with a wide variety of how many concerns versus, hey, we have a kid who thinks there's a gun on campus. Yep. Right. So I think one of the things that we always want to continue to really um, ensure that districts are doing are training their staff, because not only do they need to know what those concerning behaviors are, and what and when, but to whom, like you said, um, but also each district deals with that differently mm-hmm. and they have different processes. So we want to make uh, sure that that's going on. How do y'all determine that interventions have been successful? Because I know a lot of times we're talking, oh my gosh, and a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, we're just dealing, we may never close a case on some of these students, um, but we also know that we do. A lot, a lot of times, all of the the work you're doing most of the time. (laughs) And so I think that's the other thing that we also want to talk about is threat assessment does work. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, we provided pillars. I thought that was really great Mm -hmm. to help children stand up taller, better, with more support. And so, again, how do you determine when an intervention plan has been successful? So you said a couple of things, but I'm going to answer your question (laughs) and then go back to the other things. But... Um, our big thing is, is there, how, are we still seeing this concerning behavior? How are they, whatever the concerns we found, are they still occurring? So let's say you have a student who is isolating, who really hates everybody, who doesn't have a support system, but they only made a one-off comment. And so how you handle that is going to be different than your actively aggressive kids. And so when you're dealing with that and you're looking at, okay, how has this kid been doing? How are these updates looking? And they're like, oh, she hasn't said anything else. That's not concerning. Great. That's our first step. Hey, has she built some relationships? Is she talking more to someone? And so making sure that those other interventions of us trying to build relationships and trying to give her the tools to be more social, which is hard, but mm-hmm. they have uh, like social groups and stuff, especially at our younger grades um, for lunch to try to build and help with that. Um, are those working too? And this, so we're not just going, oh, hey, this kid made a one-off comment and now she stopped making one-off comments and so we're good. But are those other interventions being mm-hmm. effective as well? Um, did I answer that question before I go back? Yeah, go thing? back. Yes. So <laughs> something you said was we had to train all of our staff. We trained every single teacher, bus driver, coach this year um, at the beginning of the year we made it a point to go to the campuses and I mean it was a 15 to 30 minute presentation at most of it was one of the Sandy Hook videos which is Grace mm-hmm. called tomorrow's school shooting it's a it kind of gets everyone's attention of hey why are we doing this um, we play to that and then we go over this is what we do this is not punitive but our goal is to intervene at the lowest level possible when you have a kid who is at that ideation stage, they, they get mad and they go, I want to kill someone or I want to hurt someone. 
that we're intervening there and we're not waiting for the planning or the preparation. And if we can handle it there and you can tell us when that happens and we can intervene, that's a lot easier to handle than waiting for it to get worse. And because especially our younger grades, they're like, oh, well, they're young. Okay, well, what's that going to look like when that third grader becomes Mm -hmm. a middle schooler and they're having that same behavior, but we didn't take it seriously when they were in third grade. Right. So that was a big move. Hey, here's what we need to report. Here's where we need you to report it. And for the districts that decide to do this, be prepared because you're also going to get some really weird things that get reported. You're like, how does this? But the big thing on that is we would then call the campus or show up on the campus and be like, can you tell me what exactly happened? Because some stuff gets put in. You're like, how how did that how did that make it to me? Right. Um, and then they're like, oh, well, I didn't put this part. I'm like, oh, OK, well, that's the part that I need to know and right. not just dismissing it first handedly. Um, the other thing, and this is one of my favorite things to say at every one of the trainings with staff is the threat assessment is here. So you don't have to make that decision when something feels off it. You by yourself, that teacher, that counselor, that administrator, they don't have to decide, oh, I know this isn't serious. I know they didn't mean it. I know this is just what kids do. We have an evidence-based process with staff who are trained to do this. Let us do it. Let us figure out, is this serious? Is this not serious? Mm -hmm. And does this kid need help? There's been a lot of stuff that got reported. I'll be honest that I'm like, oh, this is silly. And we go through the process and I'm like, oh, there's something. There's other things here. And this kid needs help. And that's what the process is for, not to get them in trouble or label them or anything like that, but to, one, don't put it on yourself. Let everyone else help you because school safety is a shared priority. Mm-hmm. But also to help these kids not have to end up, you know, in a really bad situation that they can't get themselves out of. We're the adults. We're seeing these concerns. Let us help. Let us intervene when we can. Well, I don't really have anything else. That was perfect. <laughs> um, just because I think that is a very good synopsis of what the state is really wanting um, in our in our school system. And I know a lot of people ask, we get asked why the schools. Um, it's because we see these students every single day. And um, we do see them. We do know um, some uh, concerning behaviors. One of the things that I was just really impressed by with another district is they understood exactly what you said. We're here to look at these concerning behaviors. And one of the things that they really wanted to know is who knows these children? And um, we were meeting with their team and we heard it was at an elementary school and they had an art teacher there. And I was like, that's you're the first art teacher I've ever met on a threat assessment team. And she looked at me and she said, I know all of these kids. It was a K through five uh, campus. She said, I see these kids for six years and I see all of their siblings. She goes, at least once a week, a lot of times more than that. And she goes, I'm generally the first one who sees when that behavior change occurs. That's why I'm on this because, and the other person that they had was the campus receptionist because Mm, the campus receptionist knew all of the different kind of family stuff that was going on. And so if there were warrants out or restraining orders, and so this team was really able to come together and talk about the whole child, what is going on in the home with the student, with any siblings. And they really understood it is about catching them at their lowest level. And they really uh, did a great job in understanding that 
we want to make sure that if there's any pillars that we need to support them, that they're going to have that so they'll go be successful in middle school and high school. And she said, we also understand we may have more um, assessments because of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, they feel like so many of the interventions, that, and it was a very small district. They were like, but we also feel like we're able to provide that support um, that the families needed. And so I just really was very impressed um, because our teacher and receptionist yeah. is not on the list of who, you know, who to the greatest extent practicable should be on that team. And they really understood that point of it is a behavioral threat assessment. We are looking to see if those behaviors change. And it's um, great to hear that Mansfield is, is doing the same thing. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't mentioned that y'all do in Mansfield? So that, yes. Okay. So um, actually, um, something that Arlington ISD had put on is they've been joining all of the school districts are in our area when we're in the Metroplex. Okay. Um, the Dallas Metroplex. The Dallas Metroplex, sorry. For those that don't know. And um, so they invited everyone who had someone, whoever's over their threat assessment. Now that... Some districts, that's the safety and security people. Sometimes that is a counselor. Sometimes they have staff specifically for threat assessments, like Mansfield is lucky enough to have. Mm -hmm. And bringing them together and going, hey, how are y'all doing this? What does this look like? Um, how are y'all communicating? But the big thing is, how are we communicating when one of our kids leave and they go somewhere else? And then, if nothing else, I think everyone should get to know the districts around them, what they're doing, and mm -hmm. being able to find that point of contact of, hey, heads up, this kid's coming, and having that process ironed out. Because I know everyone's still learning of how do we get this? How do we get interventions? And how do we do all that? What if all of that information you just gathered and that kid leaves and they go somewhere else and now that team's having to start from scratch right? in and, a completely different place? Well, and the other things that we know is we know that a lot of times on that pathway to violence, there's patterns. Mm -hmm. And so we want to ensure that um, all school districts know, um, was there a concern in third grade and then not one again till sixth grade and were there interventions? And that's a really good point because there is no law that says you cannot share that type of information. There is just isn't any system right now in Texas because threat assessment isn't as a part of any type of large systematic educational system uh, database. And so one of the things that we always, um, sometimes we get administrators who are scared. They're like, we, we have the student, we've been working with the student and we're concerned, we're providing this intervention and, and he's about to leave us, not because he wants to go, but because dad got a new job. Mm -hmm. And so they're having um, to leave and, and you know, can we call the other district? And we say, absolutely, oh, yeah. you can. Um, and you can call the other district um, and let them know, here were some of the things and here's what's worked with the student. Mm -hmm. um, because it's also we want to make sure that that other campus is then also prepared to continue to support that student. Yeah, exactly. So that's been a big thing. That's the big thing we always talk about is like, hey, how are you sharing information? What does that look like? Because sometimes kids fall through the cracks and we mm -hmm. that's the whole point is we're trying to keep that from happening. Exactly. So. And I think the state is working toward that. You know, right now we're in early 2023 uh, 20, and we're wanting to make sure that, um, you know, through the Department of Public Safety, through all of these other different programs, um, we want to make sure that every educator knows what they can do to, to assist students, regardless of where they're at, you know, and also how they can continue to work to support other districts when they're bringing them in or when they're sending them out. Well, Kate Shaw, thank you so much for joining us today on The Learning Lab. Um, we look forward uh, to hearing more about Mansfield. And, and I, I think another question that we've had because we started to do these podcasts is, 
Can another district contact you? Oh, absolutely. All right. Kate Shaw with Mansfield ISD. I know that you have a lot of these programs and you have a lot of these forms already. And we happily Um, share them. And you happily share them. That's one of the things (laughs) that school districts do so well. Um, But, you know, we have a toolkit on our website, we have trainings. But we also know that a lot of times, like you just said, in the Dallas metro area, you want to connect with one another. Um, And so hopefully we uh, can also get some of those also started in all the different areas. Absolutely. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it.